today's word comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 and 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 to 49. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual, spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is word of God. We are in um, part 12 of this series, Union with Christ. Um, we've gone through a lot, 11 parts, which started in the fall we took a break for Christmas and we returned back to it. And so there's a lot going on in the world. Our brother prayed very well for it. Um, there's war. There's $6 gas prices. Um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety from, you know, things like that. But and then and there's still lots of anxiety about disease, about pandemic, um, just a, a, I got a really shocking piece of news this week. Um, I, I, I'm not on Facebook that often, but every now and then I roll through to see if there's anything important in any of my friends, right? You know, of the hundreds of people that I've listed as friends. And, and I had a shocking piece of news. Um, a woman, a dear woman that uh, I love out in the Native American reservation that we've served for many years, she shared that her husband passed away on uh, March 8th. And um, the, her husband is the father of, many of you know him, his name is Sean Brown. So our dear brother Sean lost his father this week. So please pray for Sean. Pray for his mom, Gina Bartlett. And uh, trying to reach out to him. Maybe we can get out there and, and bless him. And I suspect maybe the passing had something to do with COVID. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know for sure. So this is what's going on. This is life. In the midst of this, what does the Bible have to offer? And I'm kind of recalibrating back to this because I'm going to shift gears in the midst of this series now on union with Christ. Just quickly, we started with what is it? <laughs> what is union with Christ? And I started with this very simple definition. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. I started with that very simple definition. Right? That's the reality of your life if you believe in Jesus and given your life to him. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. 
It's like the biggest fact about you. Not how much money you have. Not how good looking you are. Not what car you drive. Not how much money is in your bank account. Not what your skin color is. Not what your ethnicity is. Is that you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. You're united to Christ. That can never break. And this is who you are. This is the most important fact of your life. Union with Christ. This is where we started. And then uh, we went into a little bit more of the complexities of the various different things the Bible says, of all its different benefits that you receive by being united to Christ. And I came to this important portion that's especially taught by John Calvin through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is that the bond of our union to Christ. How are you united to Jesus? How are you? The bond of union to Christ is the Holy Spirit. So then we ended up talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in you, and how Christ pours forth the Spirit in you, so that all of His resurrection life, the life, the human life of Jesus, which has conquered sin and death, can now be poured forth in you. That's what's happening in union with Christ. In union with Christ, the man Jesus, the human being Jesus, who of course we also know is the Son of God, God Himself, the Almighty God, who became the human being, Jesus, is now imparting to you His human life, which has conquered sin and death, and is coming to you through the Holy Spirit by faith. That's what we talked about. Union with Christ, and the bond of the Holy Spirit. And then I moved into how the bond of the Holy Spirit is not just a me and Jesus thing going on. It's not you and Jesus. It is a we thing that's going on. It is communal. We are united to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. We are one body. We are members of one body. Jesus the head. We are his body. Thus, the church, the body of Christ, is united to the Savior. And thus, how you look at the church how you look at the other members of the church. It's, it's so important. Because these aren't just regular people like, I like church, that person likes church, they're kind of interested in God, I'm kind of interested in God. And thus, you know, we do this consumeristic religious thing that other people think is weird called Christianity. No, it's not how the culture sees it that way. Maybe that's how we feel that it's that way. But the deeper reality is, we are united to the one who has conquered sin and death by the bond of the Holy Spirit, this we is so important as we walk through life, okay? Now I want to shift gears. And in these remaining messages, what I want to talk about is what does union with Christ, what does it start to do to you? What does it start to kind of like more practically look like? And, and the way I want to, this, this message is called truly human in God's image. And what I'm going to do for the remainder of this series is what does it mean to be a human being like the heavenly Jesus? That's what we're talking about. What the union with Christ is intended to do is impart to you the death-conquering, sin-conquering, the over-victorious life, the human life of Jesus. It is to make us most fully human as God intended. That's what union with Christ is here to offer us. That's what union with Christ is. is tremendous reward and power and benefit. If you want to call it, what's the big benefit? What's the big thing I get out of it? What you get out of it is you get to be really human. Beautifully human. 
Okay? So, let's get into it. <laughs> um, plenty of... I don't have a lot of, like, clever illustrations or anything for you today because I don't have time for it. Uh, I, have, I have to take you through quite a bit of important theology. And some of you may remember some of this. You may have pieced this together from some of the things I preached of it. But it's, we've gone all these, uh, all these lessons so I can finally get to this portion of the series. And so let's do it, okay? Part one, the humanity of dust versus the humanity of heaven. That's part one. The humanity of dust versus the humanity of heaven, part one. Part two, imaging the devil by grasping after power and pride. That's what the humanity of dust does. Imaging the devil by grasping after power and pride. That's the way of the world. That's how human beings are, okay? It's not a good way of being human. In fact, it's not even really being human. <laughs> Part three, imaging the new Adam with self-forgetful, self-giving humanity. That's your destiny, okay? If you give your life to Jesus, this is yours. Imaging the new Adam with self-forgetful, self-giving humanity. This is absolutely yours. Go get it. Don't ever settle for anything less, brothers and sisters, okay? Let's start. Um, let's go right to the passage. So I gave you, I mean, these are big passages. And just for the sake of time, I have to kind of like immediately, you know, telescope right to the core stuff, okay? First Corinthians chapter 15, I just, you know, cut out just a short portion, 45 to 49, big, huge chapter on the nature of the resurrection. And um, so let's just get right to verse 45. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. I won't go into all the explanation of that, okay? Because I already did. <laughs> but it's huge. The first Adam became a living being. That's Adam, okay? Now, all the people you guys know, if you grew up in church, you know the first human being is called Adam. The first human being became a living being. The last Adam, the last Adam is Jesus, okay? The last Adam is Jesus. He's not just the person Jesus, he's the resurrected Jesus. And the reason the Bible calls him the last Adam is he's a new kind of human being. So, in the Bible, in, in, the, in, the, in Genesis... Adam, that word Adam, there's a play on words. That is the man's name, Adam. And we call him Adam, and you know, some people get that name, Adam. But actually, Adam, you know what Adam means? It means the man, okay? It means the human being. So, you know, God made fish and snakes and birds and insects and all the different creatures, and then he made Adam. He made the human being. And the first human being, he breathed into it and he lived. But then he failed. But then came a new Adam, which in 1 Corinthians 15 goes, the last Adam. The new kind of man, the new kind of human being, and he became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46. It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Just quickly, what does that mean? 
That means first, you just had the natural nature of the the human nature. That's what Adam is. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you have not had the Holy Spirit imparted to you by the life-giving Spirit, Jesus. The new Adam has not given you the Holy Spirit yet. So you don't have a spiritual nature. So first, what you have is the natural. That's what it means. You were born in the natural. You were born of the first Adam. But if you come to Christ, you can get the spiritual. That's what it means, okay? Verse 47. The first man was from the dust. A man of dust. A first man was from the earth. A man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Okay, let me, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, when was the last time you went to a funeral? When was the last time you went to a funeral? If you go to a funeral, it's an absolutely terrible event. Right? Every now and then it's weird. You go to a Christian funeral, occasionally there's a person who lived his or her life with such victory in Christ, there's not a lot of mourning. It's very, very weird. <laughs> it's very, very unusual, but it happens occasionally, okay? And so if you've never gone to one of those, maybe you don't believe in Jesus, you don't know that that actually happens, it actually happens. But normally, like 99 plus percent of the time, it's absolutely terrible. And what you have is you see, if it's an open casket, that is, you could see a person. And um, this person is, you could, you could, you're reminded that this person is of the dust. Really what it is, they, we have all these people whose job is to try to not remind you of that. <laughs> Their job is to make that dead body look alive. So they often put the, the person who has died in their best dress or their best suit. And then they kind of, sometimes, you know, they put some color on the face and the person looks like they're sleeping if they did a good job, right? If you go to a good funeral home, that's what they do. But what the goal there is to kind of help you forget the real truth, which is they're just going back to dust. That's the real truth. And the reason it's so terrible to go to a funeral, I mean, it's terrible in so many different ways. But let's just say you don't have some strong connection to this person who died. So I've gone to lots of funerals where I don't have a personal connection to the person who died. I went to that, I mean, I've pastored young people for most of my career. So thankfully, I haven't had to do too many funerals of anybody that I pastored, but they have fathers and mothers and grandparents. And when they die, I go to those funerals to mourn with them because they're my family. They're, they're, they're my church. You know, we are, we are drank of the Holy Spirit together because we have the one body of Christ. We're one. We have, we're united to Christ together, right? So I go there to mourn with them. Sometimes, absolutely, they're falling apart and sometimes they're more okay. But here you are, even though I don't feel like super grief, I'm looking at this person 
And often a lot of the um, memorial services and funerals go to, there's a portion where everybody can kind of give a, you know, go up there and uh, give their, give their um, respects. And I, I think about this often. This is who we are. We're just, whatever eats the dust, right? We're, we're their food. And here is this person and they're now gone. And here's who we are. Okay? Let me just tell you something about the reality of life. Everything, almost, almost everything that we do in our culture today is to deny death. It's to deny this reality. But it's not just at funerals. It's going on every day. You wake up every day. It's very, very hard to be dust. You know why? Because dust is worthless. So in your house, if a bunch of dust starts to pile up on your desk or on your TV or on your computer, what do you do with it? I hope what you do is you wipe it off, right? And then you wipe it off. And then, you know, whatever you use to wipe it off, then maybe, you know, you take that sweeper, you go outside and you beat that thing out because you don't want it in the house. You don't want dust mites in your house. You don't want that stuff that's in your house that might cause you allergies. That might, like, if you have asthma, it could cause breathing problems. It could cause you allergy issues. It's, it's, it's actually bad. You get it out of here, right? And so, you know, we get rid of this. And it, the, the, the passage just goes by like this, but we don't often think about this. So you and I, you know, like, it doesn't look like dust, you know, I look a little better than that. But there was a point. What happened was that there was dust from the earth. And then God breathed onto this dust. And he became a living being. That's Adam. <laughs> and you know what? That's the natural human being. And we're all just like that. We're all just like that. But then, I won't go into this quite yet. What we did was we got rid of God out of our life. But you can't deny the fundamental reality that human nature is dust. So we, get, we wake up every day profoundly fighting against that. Everything we, like so much of what we do is to fight against we're dust. So something simple like you eat. <laughs> I'm not dust, I'm eating. <laughs> so I'm going still, to still go, right? Uh, my, my dad is, is in his 80s. And in the last five or six years of his life, guess what's happening? His, his digestive system just doesn't work as well as it used to. And so he's actually eating less and less. He's about to turn 83 this week. And so I'm thinking often about him. And um, he doesn't actually say this out loud when we get together. But when he says that he eats less and less, you know what I think he's thinking? I'm dying. I don't have much left. This thing I do to deny that I'm dust, I, I'm like not able to do anymore. There are other things. There's a physicality of who we are, but inside of us, we have this thing called the soul. And if you've been pastored by me, you know this, that the soul is an infinite space. Infinite. This person is only five foot nine and weighs a little more than he should. Okay. So there's a little bit more dust here than probably in terms of the matter that I would like. But the inside space, the inside of me 
is infinite, just like it is for you. Because the soul of the human being was intended to be the home of God. He wanted to unite himself to you. This be the home of God. And God can't be in a small space. He is in an infinite space. So human beings live their whole life trying to deal with this infinite, empty void and then deny the fact that we're dust. So we're always trying to fill up the fact that we feel that we are nothing. Because dust is nothing. Nothing. So kids are born, they grow up, and if mom and dad loves them and if they're treated well, they feel valued. I'm not nothing. But if kids are born and they are abandoned and they're shuffled off from one foster home to another, if there is such a thing as even foster care, because some cultures now don't even have foster care, the kids just end up in the streets and the kids get sold off. The kids get horrible things happen to the kids, raped, murdered, horrible things. So it's not just that other people look at that, that person and say, you're nothing. <laughs> the person who's a child starts to see in their mind, I'm nothing. So all of human life is actually intended to turn us into something. Something, not nothing. To deny that we are dust. So everything about you, you, you get a job. You know the most important thing about your job is it's not how much money you make. It's so you won't be nothing for the most part. Some of you just get the job because you want money. But do you know that a lot of men, when they lose their job, it isn't about the money. It's that now they're nothing. <laughs> and say so they believe that they're nothing, that's why they end up on the streets. And then they don't try again. And they don't try again. Because this thing is coming down on us. All right, that's heavy. Let's move on. There's better things in the Bible, thankfully. So all, okay, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. But as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. You get a chance to have a better humanity, more than dust. Verse 49, now I want to take you to this next part. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. How can you be of like the man of heaven? You know how you do it? You bear his image. That's how, it, that's how it's done. Now, I'm not sure if you've thought about this. Most people don't think about this. We generally get our idea of how to be human beings from other human beings. You look at other human beings, if they're nice people, you, got, you have an idea of how to be nice. So this is why, like, you know, Koreans act like Koreans. <laughs> Chinese people act like Chinese. You know, white Americans turn to white Americans and say, this is how do we be human. So we have this thing called culture. So this is just the way we act like together. But what we do is you see an image of how to act like a white American from another white American. Because you're white, and your mom and dad is white, and everyone in your culture is white. Or maybe except for that person who's over there is Chinese and that person is black. But they're my friends, even though they're not in my culture. All right? But the one I, the kind of human version I 
how I operate is through your culture. You know what you get? You image, you look at somebody else and you take the image of how they're trying to be the human being and then you receive it into yourself and then you reflect that image. That's how we do it. That's what all culture is. Culture is the way human beings do dust denial. <laughs> That's really what it is. Every culture has some collective corporate way of doing dust denial. There's a better culture, though. It's called the church. They don't worry about dust denial because we image a better kind of human being. His name is Jesus. That's what the church is for. This is why if you have a bad attitude to our church and you turn your side, like, I'm just going to take on my cultures, understanding what it means to be human, and then judge the church, you might as well just spit on the image, uh, on the union with Christ. You might as well just spit on the gospel. My goodness, you, 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 I don't even know. Are you a Christian? If you're acting like a Christian, you're not acting like a Christian. You're acting more like the devil. The world, it is completely normal for the world to despise the people who say, you have this culture called church, this community called church, and then you go inside and you have this other image that you seek how to be human from, but we're going to just pick ours. We pick ours. And then some are like, well, we have the Muslim way of doing it. And some are like, we have the Buddhist way of doing it. In America, it is the nothing way of doing it, secular way of doing it, Right? And then there's different versions of that. There's the Asian secular version. There's like the white secular version. There's the lower middle class American secular version. There's the upper, upper class secular version, etc. Variations on dust denial, but basically it is being human like Adam. Okay? So the image question is absolutely incredible. It's important. All right. I'm taking too long, so let's hurry up, okay? I want to take you to um, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4 is where we started. I won't, I won't just over the sake for time. I'm, I won't hit that again today. I'm going to get, return to it toward the end of the sermon. In Colossians 3, verse 10. Do we, can we get that projected? I don't know. We didn't get that when our, our sister was reading it. If, you, if we don't get projected, just listen. I'll go to verse 9, actually. So, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, you know what he teaches? Union with Christ. Then he teaches you how you should live inside of union with Christ. Verse 9 says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You know what it's saying? You've put off the old dust culture of Adam. You've put that off. Verse 10, And... You put off the old self, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here we go. A different image is renewing you. And so you put off the old Adam, you put on the last Adam, and you've taken on his image, and now you're becoming human. The way God intended, okay? So that's part one, imaging um, the humanity of dust versus that of heaven. And when you start to image that humanity from Jesus, you are now imaging a humanity from heaven. Okay, let's go to part two. Part two, I'm going to teach you some really fundamental and important theology. Okay, 
Um, so let's try to do this efficiently here. Um, so this is the beginning of the Bible. These three verses are supremely important. They're so important. Whole civilizations has been built on these three verses, okay? So this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Here's where it goes. So in the first 25 verses, what happened is God made this. God made the stars. God made days. God made each thing's good. He said he makes this. It's good. He makes it. It's good. He makes it. It's good. And then here we go. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the, of the sea and over the birds of and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So let me just say a little something about this. This is the Bible's explanation for what makes human beings special. I, I just want to emphasize this because um, we live in a post-Christian time, and there is an explanation, well, they try to explain in our culture, apart from the Bible, what makes human beings matter. But all those explanations are terrible. Because I'm a person that has studied philosophy and theology. When I listen to the explanations, I'm like, if, from that presentation, human beings don't matter. In the modern secular religious story, some of you know it as naturalistic evolution. That's the genesis. It's a religious story. And it's taught in our schools. So our culture teaches how do you deny dust? How we deny dust is, well, there was, you know, there was a bunch of like primordial soup and then somehow it came to life. And then somehow it jumped from this to this and this. It evolved and then somewhere along the line it became human. It became self-aware. It became human. But there's no need. I don't really understand when you look at it. So like, so then why do we matter? Why do we matter? And let me tell you, the scientists can't tell you why. And let me just be even ever more blunt. And you, some of you, if you're listening to me, you're like, I know I'm, I'm short-circuiting a bunch of different stuff, right? If you grew up in the secular story, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. There is no explanation apart from a theological explanation. There must be something outside of the system that tells you that this creature is more interesting and has more worth than a bug. See, when a bug enters my house, let me tell you what we do with it. We turn it into dust because my wife don't like them. Okay, that's what happens, all right? If there's a bug crawling around the carpet, suddenly it is my job to make sure he becomes dust and leaves the house. That's what happens to it. And, none of, and nobody cares. In fact, you do the same thing, right? Maybe some of you are kinder. You pick it up and you, okay, fine. If you do that, you're nicer than me, Okay. But you know what? You're like, you just go be dust somewhere else. But the Bible's explanation is inside of this strange being that talks and then turns into dust when it dies is 
Something so special is made to be like God. Image is God. The question of imaging is supremely important. I mean, I'll just say here too. Um, so um, why do Christians believe in the equality of men and women? Because it says so right here. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. He created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Absolute equality. You're not even out of chapter 1 of the Bible. So you wonder why Christians, if you go around the world, you know, Christians have generally throughout history have done things like, you guys call it female circumcision. We call it general mutilation. <laughs> In China, they had this thing called foot binding because they thought women should have crushed small little feet because that was more attractive. The British said, that's oppression. In India, they had this thing called suti, where if your husband dies, then the wife has to throw herself on the burning pyre and turn herself into dust too. The British said, if you do that, we will shoot you. <laughs> because the wife is in the image of God. And so here, let me just segue a little bit here too. You know why human beings are so precious? We have this thing in the West, which some people call Western it's a Western philosophy. It's called human rights. Human rights. I hope you believe in human rights. I absolutely believe in human rights. But if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in the Bible, I don't know why you believe in human rights. If you believe in naturalistic evolution, there is no rights. Some people talk about rights as if like, it's the thing the government is nice to give to you. If the government can take it away, it's not a right. Rights are from God. Any government that touches it will burn because God will condemn those who come down on that which he made precious. He made infinitely precious. I started the sermon. You have an infinite space inside of you so that he can come and live there. You are absolutely precious. Even the most poor, even the unborn, like we just celebrated a little while ago in our service, even the unwanted, even the ones who look so mangled, and they don't even look human in the way we think, they intend to image God. And that's why they're precious, okay? And so what is at the center of being human? It's this, <laughs> to image God, all right? Now let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. This is where the story gets bad. Genesis chapter 1. Glorious. Good, 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 good. Genesis chapter 2. It's glorious. God says, you shouldn't be alone. Uh, this is just a bonus. God makes everything good. It is not good for the man, Adam, to be alone. And now we're living in a culture where everybody's alone. We're really paying for it. We're really, really paying for it. Okay? Just, just a bonus. Right? Genesis chapter 3. So God invents marriage, gives him a woman, starts, starts marriage, starts community. God says, go and be fruitful and multiply and then image God over all the earth. Let the goodness of God, you will reign over all of creation and do it 
in the image of God. Image God everywhere you go. Don't just do dust denial. Image heaven. Image God wherever you go. That's God's intent. But then here's where the story gets bad, all right? And so I'm going to read this quickly, but I want to give you an important piece of theology out of it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Famous story, but it's often not thought about in terms of its, I don't know, it's not even modern, but a lot of times modern people don't think about it as having relevance to the modern. It's always super relevant, okay? Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the woman, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the, tree of, the, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. If you grew up in church, you know this story. Verse 4. I want you to pay attention now to this conversation. It's an incredibly important conversation. And most people, even though you may have heard this story when you were four years old or eight years old or 12 years old if you grew up in the church. Maybe you became a Christian when you were like 22 in college or something like that and you studied this at one point. But now that you're 42, you might not have returned too much to it later. It's always tremendously, it's incredible to think about this conversation. The older you get and the more you know about human nature and human psychology and human history and human sociology, all the things that we do and that's all that's like good about human beings and all that's seriously screwed up about human beings. This is unbelievable, the Bible's explanation of how things got screwed up. But this is it. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So let's just say that again. God knows that you will, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Man, I have thought about this verse so many times and it regularly still blows my mind. Because you know what this is? It's like, it's like an 80% truth. Most of what he says has a truth to it, but oh, there's a little catch. Some of the worst lies in the world are not straight falsities. You know what they are? They have some admixture of truth. They're very, very believable. That's why people believe them. So it's very, very believable. But then there's this cancer in there. There's a catch in there. And that's the lie. And, the whole th- and then thus it turns the whole thing into a lie. So, first of all, you're not going to die. That could, that's just straight false. Okay, that, that's just a straight lie. So he does just know how to straight lie. He does that. But then what he does is he tells you this thing that's got some big truth in it. And then it's got the twist. So, let me teach you an important piece of theology here. It's this. We're all meant to be like God. We're meant to image God. So he's appealing to that. You're going to be like God. You'll be like God. And you know, human beings, we do want to be like God. But you know which way we want to be like God? We want to be like God this way. The Genesis 3 way. Not the Genesis one way. 
When God says be like God, you're going to be like in our likeness. You're going to be in, you know, image. Here's what he meant. And then when the devil says it, here's what he meant. So here, let me, let's just talk about this. You meet, you meet a being and any being has some attributes. You go to a dog, you have four legs. Barks, bow, bow, you know, bow, wow, arf, arf. Okay, those are some of the attributes, right? You meet a person, they have attributes. Well, God has attributes. There's a being called God, he says attributes. But the theologians who study the attributes of God have an important distinction in the attributes. There are the attributes that some call the incommunicable attributes. And then what the theologians call the communicable attributes. So you guys know what communicable and incommunicable is, right? So it, it kind of means that. Communicable means it can be communicable. You know, you can get it. So we all know that, for instance, COVID, that's a communicable disease. We really, really know that. Okay? That's why we have done social distancing. That's why we've had masks. That's why we get vaccines, etc. The whole nine yards. You're around this person, you can get this disease from them, okay? They have it, they can give it to you. But if a person has liver cirrhosis, that's not communicable. That's incommunicable. They have a problem inside of them. If you hang out with them, you're not going to get a bad liver. Okay, he's like, oops, okay, you have liver cirrhosis. Okay, stay away. No, no, you don't do that. Why? Because it's incommunicable. See, the devil knows this too, though. There's ways like God that cannot be given to anybody else. It's incommunicable. It's only God's. It's of his attributes. It's only his. And then there are things that God says, this can be given. I give this to you. This is how you'll be like me. This is how you'll image me. It's a blessing. That's the goodness of God. So in the incommunicable attributes, what are the ones that the theologians list? There's something like this. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. Some people call it like, uh, you know, the sheer almightiness of God. So all the omni, omni this, omni means, you know, all. <laughs> Omnipotent means all-powerful. Almighty, all-powerful. Are you all-powerful? Nobody else is all-powerful. No devil, no angel. Angels are more powerful than us. If you believe in angels, I hope you do. And then even within human beings, some human beings have more power than others. But nobody's all-powerful. Because nobody else can get that attribute. It's incommunicable. It's of God. <laughs> but you know what God said? When he made us, he made us to be inf of infinite worth. And you know what he considered of infinite worth? His holiness. To be loving. To be just. To be humble to be gracious, to be giving. This is to be like God. And this is what he made us for. And whether a person is rich or whether they're tall, or whether they're good looking or not as good looking, whether they're healthy or whether they're sick, whatever they're white or they're black, whether they're from the 21st century or from the 5th century or from the 100th, you know, like the, the 10th century BC or whatever, Nation or ethnicity they're from, their gift is a chance to be holy like God. But the serpent, the serpent, and I won't go into the whole thing about this, but it's the devil. The devil gives you this truth. You get to be like God. But what does he mean? He says, you don't have to have any obedience. You don't have to have any trust. 
you get to have the final word on your life. And then you will know good and evil. Oh gosh, he's, he's, he's speaking the truth there too. You don't think Adam knew good from evil? Conceptually, this is good. Don't do this. This is bad. Of course he knew. Of course he knew. But you know what the devil is saying? You will know because the word know in Hebrew has, this, has, has a twofold sense to it. There's one like you know in your head. Like you know algebra. You know the combination of the lock that you use at your lock, you know, your gym lock or something like that. You know, that's one kind of no, but there's a different kind of no, which is the more important kind of no in the Hebrew word, which is to like know your wife. That means you enter your wife. That means you have intimate experience of your wife to know her, all right? It's like a big word that's talking about sex, but it's more than talking about sex. It's to really know her, to really taste of her. You know what he's saying? You will know, yada, you will taste good and you will taste evil. That's what he is, in, he is inviting us to do. You will taste and know you will enter into evil. What is the hook? He's saying, you can be like God. You can be almighty. You can have power and almightiness like God. You can be greater than you think you are. You could be better than you think you are. You could be, you don't even need him. You could be Lord over your own life. You don't need anybody else's glory. You don't need anybody else's promise. It's you. You could be like God. Almighty like God. Of the incommunicable attributes. Man, that is a trap. Death. Let me just say this, and then I got to get to some good news here, and I'm going kind of long, but I got to get to some good news. This is the way of now of Adam. I started off by saying we are of dust. I wish we were only of dust. Because when you're of dust, you still have to image something. Because dust is just dust. Inside of dust, something more important has to be, a, an image must be received and then we image that and then now we have worth and we're not nothing. So Adam and Eve, here they are in the garden. They have God. They see him. They can image him. They receive all of his holiness. And they could chase the holiness. They can image that. And they're like, this is great to be like God. But instead, now the devil shows up and says, you could be like God. But I'm not talking about holiness. You can have his power. <laughs> so now human beings, they go through life. We are dust. We're trying to deny dust. And one of the most primary ways that we try to deny dust is to be our own Lord. <laughs> I know how to deny dust. I know how to make my own life. We know how to make our own culture. And we don't need God. We don't need that book, Bible. We don't need the heaven and hell stuff. Devil, isn't that fiction? Strange how this quote-unquote fiction of the devil, you go through life and everybody who is of Adam in every culture, every time, in every place, they like to believe this lie. <laughs> and they believe this lie habitually every day all the time. I must make my life and I'm going to find an image 
That's the image I'm going to make. And then I can make my life. I can shape myself. I can be God over myself. I can have an omnipotence over myself. And we don't know that that's death. (laughs) It's death. It's curse. Okay, let me close. I want to close with some good news. And you can come back next week and we'll do more good news. Okay? It's going to get better and better. But we have to talk about this because I'm trying to help you see that this union with Christ thing is so unbelievably incredible. If you don't understand that everyday regular human life is so terrible, how would you understand that there's another way of being human of heaven? And by the way, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to start the heavenly human life. The promise is that you have union with Christ now. You get to start the pathway to the holy human life of Jesus now. (laughs) That's what we're doing here in this church, right? We're the church. We're his body. We're united to Christ. And his life is coming into us. And you're not just dust. You're made in his image to be glorious. So let me close this way. So I said I want to go back to this passage, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So for those of you who have really good memories, this is where the series began. Okay, we started right here. Okay, this is where we started. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. How are you going to image the heavenly man if your eyes are only on the earthly dust man? You look at the humanity, the Adam of of the earth, and everybody else is only doing dust and Nile culture. If this is the only way we figure out how to be human, we're only going to be dust. And you're just running a treadmill of futility until you become dirt again, right? But here's what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ. So let's just start here. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ. See, this is strange. And when I was a young man, I never understood this theology until I finally unpacked it later (laughs) when I went off and studied in in this big way and studied union with Christ. Did you notice this? The verse starts with a past tense construction. If you have been raised with Christ. We all know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you you believe in Jesus, that your promise is that in the future, you're going to die, but then you'll be raised with an immortal, imperishable resurrection life and a body like Christ. And then you'll be heavenly like Christ. That's the promise of the gospel. Everybody, if you believe in Jesus, I hope you know this, right? Almost all Christians, well, some Christians don't know this, but (laughs) you should know it, okay? But here's the part that a lot of Christians don't know, that there's something mysterious going on, and that when you gave your life to Jesus, you have already been raised with Christ. You know what has happened? You've been united with Christ, and you've already been raised with him. So let's go to verse 3. For you have died... Here we go again. 
past tense. It's very weird. You have died. You died. You're like, that's strange. Last time I checked, I'm still alive. Right? They're not having a funeral for me. But it says you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, let me close by talking about this. This is the promise I want you to cling to. And I want you to hold on to this promise for all the remaining weeks of this series. Okay? So, you, you gave your life to Jesus. If you're a born-again Christian, you died. (laughs) Your real life is hidden. (laughs) It's hidden with Christ and God. You think you know what your real life is. You wake up every day, you go to work, you have X amount of money in the bank account. You know how old you are. You know what ethnicity you are. You know what you like. You know what your, your hobbies are. You know what kind of foods you dislike, etc. Okay, so you think you know what you're li- you are. But that's not actually your real life. Your real life is hidden. It's hard to see it. And it's hidden with Christ in God. You know what's hidden? Your real life is hidden in union with Christ. Your real life is who you are in Christ. I started the sermon series this way. The biggest fact about you is that you're united to Christ. You're in him and he is in you. This is the biggest fact about you. This is who your real self is. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, who's your life? Is it your money? Is it your career? Is your family your life? Is your nation your life? Your life is Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Now, let me break this down. That word is difficult to translate. Appears means to become manifest. So sometimes we think appears is it's not there and then it's there. But that isn't exactly what it means in the Greek. It means like this. You don't see it and then it's manifest. So now you can see it. That's what it means. So when Christ, who is your life, is made manifest, like like now you can get it. You can kind of see that. Then you, the real you, the real you will also appear, will also become manifest with him in glory. This is the promise. So let me close this way. Those who, you, who have believed in the gospel and have trusted their life to the redemptive work of Jesus have become united with him in his death and his resurrection. That's why you died. But now here's the exciting part, the resurrection part. Your real self, the one that's going to image the heavenly, the heavenly humanity, it's kind of like a diamond. You guys ever see a diamond when it comes out of the ground? You go watch a YouTube video, they pull out a diamond out of the ground. It's going to be like a oh, super, super valuable diamond. It's kind of big or something. They look at this thing and you look at it, you're like, it looks stupid. <laughs> it's ugly. It's got all this dirt on it. It looks, uh, it, looks it's, it doesn't look more interesting than any other rock. You know what? That's you. That's me. When you look at your life, you're like that. But your real self, 
is not made manifest. It's like, it's kind of like hidden. It's under this crusty, all your selfishness and all your like believing in the lies of the devil. That's why he even says in Colossians 3.10, don't lie to each other because that's what the devil does to you. Put off that old self and then put on the image of the one who is our creator. So your real self is like a diamond. That's the you who is united to Christ has been made into the image of God through union with his death and resurrection. Union with the everlasting humanity of Jesus. Throughout your life, yourself, which is the old Adam, the dust, the one that's preoccupied with dust, that images the devil because the devil challenged God because he didn't want God to be God over him. He wanted the power. He wanted the pride. And then he offered that promise to us. And that was a really, really bad person to listen to. And here we are. We're living life, imaging the devil, seeking self-exaltation and self-lordship. But the true truth about you is if you've given your life to Jesus, you can see him. And if you begin to see that he is not just up there, the real heavenly one is in you, you can then begin to go to him. And then because now he's made manifest, you have a chance to be united to him and image him. And the real great, much more beautiful version of you, the diamond version of you, will absolutely come. You will appear. You will be made manifest with him in glory. I got to close today. You know, these words I know kind of like, we need some more illustrations and some stories and some other ways to make it come to life. But I want to leave you with that today. Let me tell you one of the things I love about being a pastor. There's this thing that the pastor Rick Warren says. He calls it, he says, I am a changed life junkie. You know what he means? He meets a person. And their life, when he meets them, they don't know Jesus. They're doing Adamic life. They're learning their life in dust denial and chasing after the promises of the devil and imaging the devil. And they're doing everything they can to make themselves have some worth. And they're destroying and wrecking their life and wrecking other people's lives. And then they come into the church and they meet Christ. And then Jesus, who is their life, who has conquered sin and death for them, everlasting humanity, unites himself to this really cruddy person. Some of the people that I've heard testimonies from, I actually literally sat there at Saddleback Church, listened to a woman who used to be a crystal meth addict, was abused by her father and her uncle. And in order to cover up all the pain, she did all these drugs and her, just destroyed her life. And here she was standing up there in front of Saddleback Church, telling her how Jesus changed her. And you know, this woman, you know what she looked to me? She was glorious. Just glorious. That's her real self. The real self in Christ. And she was standing up there in glory because Jesus had become manifest to her 
and she had changed. This is why I love church. This is why I like being a pastor. There's a lot of the hard things about being a pastor, okay? But this makes it all worth it. And this is your story too. If you have not given your life to Jesus, this can be your story. Today, you can put off the Adamic dust self and you can invite Jesus into your life. And now you can move toward heavenly humanity to your diamond glorious self. And for all of you who already are following after Jesus, maybe you're tired. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you've gone after one kind of like junky, <laughs> religiosity, pharisaical, hypocritical bunch of Christians. And maybe you're just so tired of it. You're like, is that it? You know, pharisaical Christianity isn't real Christianity. That's Adamic dust denial Christianity. It's junky Christianity. It's just still Adamic religion. But it, real Christianity is this. Union with Christ. For those who are heavenly will become glorious. Would you, I want to encourage you to go chase after that again. Believe in that again. And ask Jesus in you to show himself to you, to be made manifest in your life and your heart so you can image him and your true self can be you forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, this is life. <laughs> and life without you is quite terrible. It's so awful that we believe Human beings who don't even believe in Jesus believe in human rights. And then we turn around and we just hate all kinds of other human beings. They don't agree with my politics. I don't like them. Oh, they're poor. I don't like them. They're from that part of the country. I don't like them. They're this ethnicity. I don't like them. They don't recycle. I don't like them because they're polluting the earth, which is true because we do pollute the earth. But apart from you, we pollute the earth with lies and dust denial and insecurity and pride and power grasping. And this is culture. This is what life is. And love is failing. Generosity is failing. Justice is being thrown under the bus. And we live without joy. We live inside of cynicism. And even when we laugh, our laughter is filled with mockery. And sometimes we laugh, but we laugh even with some tears, knowing that today we will say ha-ha and tomorrow will be gone. But thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you that you answered the call from the Father, that you will not let human beings just go to the dust and will go the way of the devil. Instead, you came. You came so that human beings could be what you always intended them to be, glorious, your home, your dwelling place, where we would image you all the time and we would become our true selves in glory. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk together in the church and receive your person, Lord Jesus, and united with you because you are our head, we are your body, we'll unite to you forever and ever that you would pour out your spirit upon us and give us your true humanity and make us beautiful like you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.